I'm excited though. You you wouldn't be because uh, it's dark mode, baby. They finally got system wide dark mode. I'm also not a Mac user, so you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fuck Wozniak, fuck Jobs, the the Pepsi Cola guy. I can't remember the name of him too. Wait, why is Pepsi a, a Mac? Is he the the guy who owned Pepsi in like the the early uh, the early '80s and, and the '70s? Got it from Steve Jobs after Steve Jobs got kicked out the first time. Got kicked out of Pepsi? No, after after Jobs got kicked out of Apple. Oh. The guy from Pepsi took it over. That seems like a natural progression of things. You know, hey, I've conquered the... I, I've come in a hearty second place in the Cola Wars. Might as well, you know, make, oh, a, man. make a computer. Not anymore? Nobody gives a shit about Windows anymore. It's except it's in every office across the world, unless you're doing creative design. There you go. So <laughs> it's like everyone can be like, ah, I'm second different, but sorry, uh, that monolith will probably be there forever, and uh, there's nothing you can do about it. Hey man, this this horse who uses Adobe all day is definitely wearing blinders to the to the rest of the Windows living world. <laughs> I'll admit it. Yeah, it's we're we're still running strong. We're we're a beautiful race of uh, people who have accepted our lot in life. Every time I use the Mac computer, I have had a horrible experience, so I've had no desire to purchase one. It just I don't get it. I don't I don't get it. But frankly, it's like, which OS do you want to use? And I don't I don't give a shit. It. I mean, like I I could make the switch now because initially the the editor that I liked was um. It was Apple's uh, third-party one, the one that they were big on. But they sort of shot themselves in the foot somewhat um, by making this last version of it more consumer-friendly. And as a result of that, it's made all of the, the professional people like me like stop using it. Um, like, for instance, there's no save button. Why? It's only because, autosave? Yes. That, so, That's and, horrible. Like, it, it is. And it's like, you know, some people are like, well, you don't have to worry about saving or things like that. And it's like, well, you know, the other examples that I can't pull out of my head right now, but like you can follow that logic line where the, if they're like, if they're taking away the save button, they're doing a lot of other stupid shit for people who don't want to take the time to learn the software. And that's sort of my big, I know it, I don't know if it's the case anymore, but that was always my big Mac gripe is that customization and the ability to tinker were taken away for the, for the uh, option of, for or for the sake of smoothness, cleanness, uh, simpleness, aesthetics, and, and I like. I'm sorry, as a Windows user, I love Windows and Windows and Windows and Windows, and folders and folders and folders and stacks on stacks. Like I love subcategorizing shit to the nth degree, and so when you deny me that, I get angry. The, the folder system does suck. I will admit that. Like it. Uh oh, we're um. We're reviewing Mac, by the way. Uh, Mac OS, everyone. Uh, Welcome to RiffinRock.com. This is called Macintosh Talk. <laughs> What's the deal with the one-button mouse? <laughs> you know, there is a really dumb design flaw in those where uh, we we had one at the at the place I used to work at, and they had um, it, it didn't have removable batteries. It was chargeable, which is fine, but the port where you plugged in was at the bottom of the mouse that faces the table. Uh-huh. So you couldn't charge and use the mouse at the same time. Now, we've been using wired mice for decades. 
and have had and no problems. Exactly. But they got to put the charger on the bottom for some innovative what reason. Probably because it's flat. If I had to take a guess, if I had to take a designer shot in the dark, I would say it's because it's the only flat surface on it. Cause but it, make another one. No, oh, come on. you're going to ruin the aesthetic. Oh, I don't my get God. where, like, <laughs> my mouse is wired. It does a great job of being wired. I don't, I don't, I don't need wireless shit unless you know there's no other option. I, I don't mind cables. You don't, you don't need LEDs showing your favorite esports team in the no. window. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you look, there was a. We were watching. We had the Hulu on last night. Uh, the girlfriend and I we were watching a show. Um, and actually, admittingly, we were watching This Is Us because she's making me watch it. So I'm. Ooh. <laughs> I, hey, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm going to say it's not a bad show. Like, it is a, a well-done show. I just would never watch it on, under my, my own volition. So, like, I, I watch it, I'm like, and there's a couple moments where I do laugh because I'm like, this is stupid. Um, but for the most part, I'm like, actually, I'm on board. It's, I like, I'm not hating this. I'm not cringing. It's just, like, not normally something I would watch actively. But so, uh, for example, one of the characters works at a software company called IT Solutions and Sons. And I'm like, no, he doesn't, but he really does. And wait. It's a company called wait, IT Solution and Sons. Is this a comedy show? Is that one of the jokes? It's like a dramedy, but a... It, it gets a little heavy-handed sometimes. Yeah, that's that's You don't need to you don't need to punch up IT Solutions. That's a uh... Like is, is is their family name IT? My is dad, that... my dad's name is IT Solution. <laughs> and here are my children. Cash uh, cleaner, come go go clean. Hey, cash cleaner, how about you clean your dishes? Huh? <laughs> but anyway, Saman- uh, Symantec, whatever the name Saman- of that antivirus Saman- is. Ooh, that'd be a good company name. We are we are Symantec. <laughs> uh, but anyway, there was that a, is. there was a. There's a commercial for some Amazon Echo with Sonos speaker shit. And there's this, there's this clip of, like, them fumbling with all the remotes. And there's, like, a million things with wires and shit. And then, all, and then it pans over to the new way of doing it where it's just the one bar speaker and the TV. And I turn to my girlfriend and go, they got rid of the fucking record player. What's wrong with them? And she's oh, they like, had one in the earlier shot? They had one in the earlier shot with their, with their like, mountain of cables. And if, you were, if someone were ever to come over to my house... It's just a mountain of cables back there in my entertainment center. I have a, a 1980s receiver. I got uh, two two set two sets of speakers. You know, some nice uh, two channel shit going. Uh, everything is cables. Everything is cables and cables and cables. Yeah, I, I'm. I have to admit, I'm too much of a pussy for the old uh, hi-fi equipment, like the shit where you had to like strip wires and do that sort of thing. I'm like, nah, I'm not fucking with that. It's I being... want, I want, I want connectors. Oh, this has, I mean, I this want... is, this is connector. It, it, it like, it, it's one of those, one of those like ones where you like, you, you push it into the hole and then you have to clamp down on the, on the clamp to, for the, for the cable to connect. See, that, I think that's what I'm talking about. I can't remember exactly, but like that kind of shit's intimidating. Oh, the ones that are terrifying for me are the ones it. where it's like you unscrew, you have to unscrew the thing and you have to screw it back on to tighten it up. That's, that's maybe, the... maybe that's it. I don't know. I used to have an old eight track receiver you know, that worked that way. It was a great receiver. I didn't even know they made those outside of like cars. Oh, they did. I mean, it, <laughs> they did. It was. I was helping a, a a good friend of mine. They were moving to a new house. 
I think it was like 2002, and they had never went in the attic since they had moved in, and they found this big old a like these giant speakers with an a track player that also doubled as a receiver. And they're like, "Do you want this?" I was like, "Fuck yeah, I want this!" And it was a, it was a great little receiver for uh, you know starting starting off my my AV lifestyle. <laughs> it was awesome. That's a uh, way to be AV positive. I am AV positive. I, I love AV. I mean, I'm never going to be one of those people that's like, I spent 600 bucks on the cables. But, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of a good speaker setup. I'm a fan of a good uh, receiver. Uh, I think those things are not appreciated because people are like, I got my big Sonos soundbar and my, my Samsung smart TV. I'm all good to go. And I'm like, no, you're not. There's so much more you can do. Smart TVs fucking suck anyways, at least in my experience. They've all been – I don't know if they're making them better now, but – the ones that I use were just really annoying. Like the the mouse would or the the um the remote would sort of function as a mouse. Yes. Which it's one of those things that's good on paper, but like using it, it's so fucking wild. Oh yeah. It reminds me. It reminds me of the Wii. It's just like not really all that well calibrated. We're a Chromecast family over here. Oh, well, well, well. It's I do, I'm HDMI boy over here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh. Oh yeah. This show is actually called Music Talk. Um, now that we've deviated from Mac, Mac OS, and our hi fi's, uh, the sound of a gear change. Oh, I'm great. I just I got a free camera. That was something I was just going to bring up Ooh. recently, which was exciting. I was looking on uh, Craigslist for uh, lenses, just sort of dicking around. I found this one for forty bucks, and uh, which is really cheap, like a good lens. Like a, an average lens is like eight to nine hundred, and a good lens is like double that. So lenses are like buku dolores. Oh yeah, sure. And um, <clears throat> so I went to, I was going to meet this guy at his uh, at his work, and he forgot it there. I said okay, and he then he said he was going to leave it in his mailbox for me um, because I was I met him on the way to meet somebody else, um, and so I went to check that on the way back. He forgot it again was so embarrassed he gave me that and the camera for free. Holy shit, that's great. Yeah. So I was like, fuck yeah. That's a that's yep. a money pit I don't fuck with cameras. Oh yeah. It's it's dangerous. You think pedals are bad. Oh boy. Oh god, it, that's horrible. Like I look at this stupid little pedal board I have, I'm like, there's so much money just sitting right there. I don't I don't understand what I've done. How many how many are on your board? Like eight or nine? Uh two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I have eight on the board and then my big green DL four, which is that pedal everyone has sits sits off the board is that the that's the one with like the four switches right yep that nick reinhardt has two of when he plays live yeah and if like he'll post photos that he's got like 10 of them in his house speaking of reinhardt you hear that new uh that new song that they released yeah i'm gonna buy that uh i'm gonna buy the seven inch it's 10 bucks i mean 10 bucks for three the only thing that i don't like about it is uh if i'm not mistaken um they one of the, so that it, it's two it's three songs and one of them is super fxx which oh, is I the, thought it was just two songs no it's three well on bandcamp it's three so i don't know if they with oh and so that's never mind it makes perfect sense now disregard disregard abort well so because i think on the vinyl it's the two songs but then they posted on bandcamp and on bandcamp it's super super fxx because the vinyl version of super fx is super fxx and it's a completely different song oh they're doing the 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 new type thing well i think it's 
I think it was more they just when they released the digital version they have one song and then when they released the vinyl version it was a completely different song and I bought the vinyl I just hadn't played it for a while and then Nick posts on Twitter like something to the extent of I, I can't believe no one's realized that there's a completely new song on the vinyl and no one's commented on it yet so then I listened to it and I was like oh it, this song is totally different it's super wild like it's a really really good song it's really crazy so I guess huh. on the Bandcamp download of it you'll finally get the vinyl version of the song oh I'll have, to, I'll have to get that then. But yeah, that, that new song with what, Rob Crow? That's that's solid. Yeah, I didn't even know it was uh, a different guy singing until I read the uh, title. <laughs> I'm so glad that they're that band's kind of doing stuff again. Uh, I know you weren't as hot on Trash Generator, but uh, the like X Dot was not my favorite Terramelis album by far. And, the, and then I, it seemed like they were done. And the fact that they came back with that album, I was like, thank God. And it seems like they're getting ready to put out some more stuff too they're they're active well here's a here's a transition for you they're they're a band that i'm glad is making waves not unlike or not not unlike the the uh <laughs> we have three bands here today that also made waves great that was a good transition that was a good transition. oh man hey sometimes the uh the transmission's out of fluid <laughs> good shift you had to you had to really work oh, the yeah. clutch there oh uh, man yeah, walk us th- walk us through today's episode. So uh, we got we got three albums here. Um, this is sort of a, a historical episode, so I'm gonna we're we're gonna try and do our best. That one guy from the History Channel who does all the narrations um, somehow has time in the world to record hours and hours of, of stuff about Nazi gold. Um, we're gonna have, be talking about like a Nazi gold soundboard. They just that... <laughs> the Nazi gold was in a bunker. Reichstag explosion. <laughs> um, uh, so we're we're talking about three albums that um, sort of uh, made waves across the 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 reaches of space and time from the '60s to uh, to to genres that and movements that happened um, later on. Um, so we got uh, we got we got some freak out. We got some uh, silver apples, and we have. The band coming on up in the rear. Which band? Oh, the. The. The very. Who? <laughs> He's playing first, I think. There was one of my favorite uh, shticks when I was really young. There was a it was an Animaniacs bit with the with the two squirrels. And they were at Woodstock, and the I forget. Oh, of I forget. course, there's the squirrels. Of course, it's gonna be at Woodstock. I, 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 right? I forget what the names, but the older ones like, when does the band come on? And then the younger ones like, the band doesn't come on till later. Who is on stage? Yeah, I'm saying, when does who? Yeah, who is who is on stage? No, they don't. Yeah, they're playing now, but the band doesn't come on till later. Yeah, I'm saying which band is on? And you know, this is the this is the thing back and forth, which you know, when you're young, That's good you, writing. It was it was really good. It was really funny. And I mean, when you're young, you just think it's a funny little thing, kind of just they're being cute and cheeky. But then you know, like you're the parent watching with your kid, and you're like, I get this. I that's, know these bands. That's better than a subtle sex joke in uh, Rocco's Modern Life or something like that. Oh Jesus Christ, Chris! They had they had they had a, a bit in Animaniacs where they said they were looking for fingerprints, and then Dot pulls out prints and says fingerprints. And they're like, no, you misunderstood. And she goes, oh, fine, and throws them away. <laughs> For a minute, I thought you meant she pulled out a picture of Prince. 
no, like pulls out real prints and is like fingerprints. And they're like, no fingerprints. And she's like, oh, okay. I hey. mean, they really went there. Someone's got to. The Trailblazers. Not unlike the Trailblazers in this episode. Huzzah. <laughs> That's how you bring it back around. Good job. Good job. We were really into tailspin there. Oh, my God. I was another almost, another oh. animated show. I was almost. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Frank Zappa, iconoclast, uh, guitarist, composer. Um, he was no rug rat. He was, he was no rug rat. Um, even though tangentially related to that, to that uh, animation company. <laughs> uh, real thing. They, he did, the, the guy did an album cover for him. It's, it's really garbage looking. But anyways, um, Freak Out. Th- this is an album that's been talked about a lot, um, and, and rightfully so. I mean... 1966 double album comes out uh you know that that alone is show-stopping but then when you take a listen to the actual music um and look at the context of of what's going on in the middle of um i think this came out in like may or june um and it's just it's 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 crazy you know but the people people talk a lot about sergeant pepper and i get that um, but I really don't think you have a Sgt. Pepper without this album. Um, this album is too weird to, to sort of, you know, touch as many people as, uh, Sgt. Pepper did, but it, it does a lot of the same things. Um, this and, uh, uh, the, the absolutely free, the one that came out after which I, I was looking up. Um, I wanted to see which one came out first. Absolutely free or Sgt. Pepper came out on the same day. It's pretty crazy to think about. Oh, I, that's, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, introduction. Uh, so what you got on this album? Um, it's weird because you'll you'll kind of get glimpses of um, what Frank's going to be doing later on his, in his career, but at also at times you don't like. You can, you know, I think that I think it's a year later he puts out um, "We're Only in It for the Money," which is really the start of his. Of, of you know the Frank Zappa that people come to know over the next uh, uh, you know decade or so or even even longer than that his whole career yeah because um, the tongue is more firmly in the cheek there are more tracks being recorded on I think I think this is like I don't even know if this was recorded on more than than ten tracks um, it's certainly uh, nothing um, close to what he'd be doing in terms of uh, you know production wise later on. Um, this time, this time, something that I pulled out of it was that sort of has like a Motown vibe to it. Oh yeah. I don't know if you picked up on that. Um, Um, I mean, it's it's not exactly, it's not exactly subtle. The, the Motown aspect. Oh yeah. No, I, so that's, um, I think actually one of my critiques of the album is that there's a lot of mo there's i think a, like one motown song too many you think i think so i like that sound are you are you more of a are you more of a stacks guy or are you just not into that that uh that kind of pop music i don't know what you mean by stacks stacks records there's sort of like the it's like if if Motown was all about a pop sheen then stacks is sort of like the gritty grittier version no, i can't, it, i don't know anyone who was on stacks but 
No, I they they often get compared. To I I don't I don't have a problem with uh, either. None of this is about like I prefer one or the one over the other. It, and it's I like Motown. It's just so. Let me preface everything I'm about to say with I I love this album. I think this album is brilliant, and I think it's underappreciated. And when everyone like Circle Jerks, Sergeant Pepper's, and Ryan and I did an episode of. Uh, a couple albums that are overly lauded and we think are not as good. Sgt. Pepper was one of them because I think they wrote Oh, really? I have real... I don't think it's a bad album, but I have real beef with it and I think it's way over-appreciated. They literally... In my opinion, there's the same song three or four times on that album. Like, legit, like, the same cadence, the same whatever. Anyway. (laughs) um, Like, Fixing a Hole and Little Help from My Friends and there's one or two others that all sound exactly... Okay, you know what? I I can see that. I can kind of see that. Now that you mentioned fixing a hole in, in friends. And so, and maybe I wasn't, ar- and obviously I wasn't around back then. Uh, so maybe I just don't appreciate the context, but in my mind, I'm like, I don't think anything about this is too special in my, uh, but again, I wasn't in there in 1967 when it dropped. I listened to it many decades later where I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of albums like this, but anyway, freak out. Uh, I think freak out is actually the better of the two albums it's obviously the harder of the two albums to listen to it's Um, sergeant pepper or or, yeah i just i I see i see i see even though freak out came first i see freak out as sort of like the ugly um twin of sergeant pepper where they both are kind of touching a bit on some of the psychedelic stuff but freak out's clearly way more comfortable with going down the rabbit hole it's like a baby still covered in like mother juices <laughs> and then sergeant pepper is like the cleaned up baby <laughs> you, you might say it's covered in motherly love oh there you go um That's, there you go but my biggest my biggest beef with freak out really is the pacing of the album where it kind of go you have these first three songs that are kind of these poppy weirdo songs um especially the, well actually the first two then you get who are the brain police which is when things start getting really bizarre because Hungry Freaks, Daddy, and Ant Got No Heart have kind of a fun, fun vibe to them. But they're pretty, you know, straightforward songs. Then Who Are the Brain Police is when things start getting very bizarre. But then you have this weird chunk in the middle that's all very doo-wop, Motown. Kind, I mean, motherly, uh, motherly love a little less, but go cry on someone else's shoulder. How could be yeah. such a fool? You didn't try to call me. Um, you're probably wondering why. Like, there's a lot of them in a row. Um and some of them feel a little samey. I mean, I know they're all kind of making fun of teenage love, and it's funny. But at the same time, I'm like, I could do so with do with one. That, less. I guess that's the concept behind this album because this album, like myself included, is is often called by people a concept album. But I've never really been able to pick out a concept, and I guess that is the concept. Well, but so you have that, but then at the and then as you know, starting from Trouble Every Day, this album takes a deep nosedive into absurdity where you have trouble every day, which is pretty straightforward, but then you get to help. I'm a rock, which is fucking madness. Uh, it can't happen here. And then we get the introduction to Zappa's avant-garde composing skills with the return of the son of monster magnet. So it's a little, it, it, like, I wish it was maybe the track order was rearranged a little bit because in the way it's structured now, it feels a little chunked in a way that I don't, I don't like as much, but every individual. Yeah, I can see that. But there's no individual song I don't like. 
Um, you do have some great doo-wop stuff, some Motown stuff. Um, you have songs that probably you should never play for a six-year-old because you'll never hear the end of it in Wowie Zowie. Um, yeah, Wowie Zowie is the one track that I, I just I can't fuck with on this album. I, I get it in the context of the the satire and stuff, but at the same time, that's some... That's some really sweet bubblegum you got there, Frank. Oh, I love it. And I like I'll find myself just like driving around going, Wowie, Wowie Zow and I'm like, I'm I got problems. But then you, <laughs> and then you got fucking weirdo nonsense with Help I'm a Rock, which is just got such a cool little guitar pattern and everyone just screaming and going ballistic. And it can't happen here, the the second part of it. Um oh. which I've never really uh, appreciated that song as much as I, I did this time. Yes. Um, there's just like the 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 way that the piano comes in and it does this like weird, like almost film noir um, type chords and shit, you know, juxtaposed with the, the dissonant, uh, you know, solo vocals and shit like that. Really interesting. Um, and that's sort of something that, that, that pervades the whole album, how... Um, like even on, I ain't got no heart. The, the very last part of that song, like right before they're about to go into their big crescendo, you get like a little snippet of what's going to come in the crazier part of, uh, who are the brain police just to like, just like a fucking, like getting slapped in the face with a fish in like some vaudeville, uh, you know, performance where they're all just Uh, going, what, what, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it's such it's such an iconoclast. I can't believe that someone paid for this album. Um, it blows my mind. I guess it was all because of uh, Trouble Every Day. <laughs> they were like, oh, we got a blues band. And uh, little did they know. Um, it, so I'm reading on Wikipedia, and apparently the first two songs that were recorded were Anyway the Wind Blows and then Who Are the Brain Police. Yep. And so anyway, the wind blows, I'm sure they're like, oh, you know, nice little bubblegum pop song, more or less, that we can sell to the teenagers at the soda shop. And then who are the brain police? And you got to be like, what just happened? And it says effectively they gave him an unlimited budget to do whatever they wanted. Yeah, which unfortunately, uh, like many things that are unlimited, I'm looking at you, data plans. (laughs) Um, That ended up not being the case because the last track, Return of the Son of the Monster Magnet, is actually unfinished. Um, and uh, he still decided to put it out anyways. And, uh, you know, it's it's something that, as a Zappa fan, I've always wrestled with because I think that there are legitimately good parts to that song, but I also think that there are, you know, it's obviously a, a little bit gratuitous as well. Um, it, it definitely uh, leaves a mark on you, that track. Um and it also it, it does it does sound unfinished. I mean the 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 skeletal nature of it. Yeah. Uh, which is a shame. Can only imagine what he would have done on it. It's a it's a perfect window though into what he would be doing a year later with Lumpy Gravy and then yeah. other stuff later. It's I mean, it's so freaking bizarre with all the the Susie cream cheese and wacky just all everything just so it's so strange. It's so strange. But it's I mean, obviously, it fits right into, you know, it fits into 60s culture as much as Zappa lambasted the 60s freaky hip, uh, hippie culture. He also knew how to, like, ham it up and also knew how to kind of, like, play to it at the same time, which is always something yeah, that kind of like, got me. Is that, he's like, he would make fun of 
like the San Francisco scene, but at the same time, he would make music that would fit right into that scene. Yeah, like I could, I, I really got that feeling from. Um, you're probably wondering why I'm here. Yeah. Where if you listen to the, if you listen to the lyrics, he is directly talking to like probably a crowd that he once had at like the Whiskey a Go Go, right, or some club in um in LA where the the you know he's playing all this fucking weirdo shit. He has people coming up on stage with like costumes and props and something, and in these like these fucking uh you know sailors or naval officers who are like on shore leave from vietnam or something you know right. they're back in la and they're like what the fuck is going what on is here this? What is why this is this guy here i am wondering why you're here <laughs> that's the one where they're like he's like how am i gonna tell my parents there's a hole in the convertible top man there's a hole in the convertible top i love that part <laughs> this funny enough this was uh uh I Ain't Got No Heart was one of the very first Zappa songs I had heard. Oh, um, really? And it was 2006. So, like, my parents would talk about Zappa, but they never played Zappa in the house. It was always just like, oh, Zappa's weird and crazy, but for some reason would always just not play him. Um, though I found out later my dad did have a CD copy of this floating around in his collection. Uh, only this one. But anyway, um, it was 2006, and once again, we're going to bring him up. Uh, Omar Rodriguez Lopez had, like, a I'm taking over the radio kind of thing going on and he played i ain't got no heart on his set and i was like oh this song's kind of not as crazy as i thought it was going to be but it's still pretty cool and that's sort of what led me to start looking looking at looking for him and then, weird enough the first album i grabbed was not this it was uh, Sheik your booty which then opened up a whole other wormhole but i mean that's a good album for you considering how much you like blue now mm-hmm. um like what was it gonna Another track I really like, um, I'm Not Satisfied. I think that's one of the few, um, like, sincere tracks, I guess. Like, you, he sort of um, takes away the, the satirical edge. And I feel like that's him actually singing from experience about being this, this frustrated, smelly weirdo, uh, you know, living in a studio in in L.A., well, not I, trying to get laid. And I, I think also he was his first marriage was pretty much falling apart at this point i didn't think he oh he, he did get married that's right before before, before gail yes <laughs> the bane to many of zappa fans existence right so and, and zappa cover bands of course right because you have to you know pay to play his music now or whatever crazy shit that's right the holog- um, holograms everywhere but yeah i would i would for for people who um even have a passing interest in Zappa, I would highly recommend seeking out the liner notes for this album. They're they're written in his voice, so you kind of have to parse it a little bit. Yes. Um, you know, they're not straight, but it does give you um, some interesting insight about a lot of these tracks, um, you know, even when it is tongue-in-cheek, like, like a lot of this album is. And if you could hunt down a really good pristine classic version of the vinyl, there's like a there's a there's some extra stuff in there. I forget what it is. There's like a map or a book. Talk or... about the freakout map. Yeah, that came in the that's in the reissues too now. Yeah, I got uh, I got a, an old version, but I, I, I'm pretty certain I have the freakout map. So if if you if you want to know what this album is about, here here's what this album is about. So on this freakout map, there is a marker on this map of Los Angeles of the local county police station that arrested Zappa for 
accusations of recording uh, audio pornography. Um, and he said <laughs> something like, want to call on a bus? Dial this number. And he, and he lists the number of the of the police department. So that that sort of gives you an idea of, of, of where this album is coming from um, tonally. Uh, yeah. I get I, mean, I, I get why this album wasn't pushed as hard versus maybe some of the more popular peers, but it's it's also a crime because this is and so you part part of when you sold this episode to me was, you know, all the three albums we're talking about today were monumentally influential um in their own ways. And I believe yeah. and I believe and I believe Freak Out was one of those. Um obviously a huge influence on psychedelic rock. And then also just pure audio experimentation because, again, especially in that later end of things, stuff gets really off the rails and bizarre. And this is a major label release that has some people saying, like, with a woman moaning in the background about the Flash or whatever, or Flash Man, and then they're singing about Susie Cream Cheese and um, everyone's going, just saying Kansas and Washington, D.C. over and over again. And again, there's a song where they just repeatedly say, help, I'm a rock or help, I'm a cop. I mean, it's just like, and this was on a major label. Yeah. Did you, I was going to say before, did you, you know, that song is about Elvis, right? No, I didn't. Help, I'm a rock. No. It's basically the, his, his like whole concept with that particular track is like being stuck in like the, the, um, being like held to the standards of being a quote unquote rock star. You know what I mean, and so that it, it's sort of like commentary from uh, from Elvis's perspective, I guess. That's what the song is supposed to be like. You know, help! I'm a rock star. I can't. I can't go anywhere. Right. I'm. I'm doomed to get fat and die taking a massive shit in Las Vegas, <laughs> <laughs> as the king did. Bless his heart. Bless his. <laughs> he had a. That was a tragic death. Well, I'd say bless his colon before his heart. Well, man needs some help. Yeah. I just mean like there you can find footage of his like last performances and it's just bad. He's such a wreck. Yeah, poor guy, the king. But um, I, this album and just you know, go ahead. I wanted I just wanted to say before you said that um you you can kind of get why this this album didn't pick up and I can too, but like you know, when you're talking about um pop music in 1966 like there are a lot of tracks on here, a lot of tracks that we've already mentioned, stuff like um, I Ain't Got No Heart, Motherly Love, Hungry Freaks, uh, definitely Wowie Zowie, where it's like some of these tracks could have even been played on AM radio, yes. not not even just FM radio, not but that AM spicy, radio. Not that spicy FM crowd. Yeah, not that not that adult, you know, contemporary music. <laughs> only only the chart toppers. Yeah. No, I agree. I think there, there definitely could have been some... Uh, um, what, uh, uh, do you th- still have the wiki page up? What were the singles from this album? Yeah, um, let's see. I'd be interested how, to how know. Could I, how could I be such a fool? Uh, trouble okay. coming and tr- trouble coming every day. And motherly love were the, but motherly love was a Japan only single. But even then, those are those are two pretty good singles to pick right. for uh, for stateside at least. And trouble trouble every day. Obviously, it, it there's a lot of similar. It's sort of a '60s culture commentary. I mean, he he has that line that says, you know, I may not be black, but I'm sh- I sure wish there were some days I wasn't white either. Something to that extent. Yeah, um, which is a great line. And um, you know, if someone did, if a white guy did that nowadays, I feel like he'd catch a lot of flack for it. But. Um, 
you know, like even, you know, back in the day, back in like 1966, when you still, when like the Civil Rights Voting Act still hasn't been passed, right. like that's a pretty bold thing to, to say. I'm not saying that he's like, you know, a harbinger of, of civil rights or anything like that, you know, because no. that's, that's totally ridiculous. But, um, you know, to say something that radical on a major label in that time period, um, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. It's, it's pretty respectable. Yes, I, I fully agree. And, uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of other, I, I like, I think of CCR's fortunate son, you know, similar songs, but I think it, mm-hmm. it, there's, there's really good catchy songs on here, like, and songs I would not be embarrassed to play in front of people. I mean, I'm not going to probably put on. This uh, might be one of the albums that I'd, I'd play first in front of people just because of how, uh, bouncy the pop music on here is obviously we'd turn the record off before help i'm a rock we'll just say that it ends in trouble every day but <laughs> that's where the album ends <laughs> yes there's a whole other side no there isn't stop asking questions no it's an etching it just looks like a, another side <laughs> do you know this was one of the very first uh double lps oh yeah wasn't it the first or it, it's disputed whether or not it's the first between blonde on blonde by by mr dylan i guess in terms of rock releases, right? Uh, it's also one of the and yeah, so it's it's also at, at an hour and one minute. It's one of the longest albums of of that time. Obviously, things would change as time progressed, but most albums were confined to thirty forty minutes in that era because you had to be on the one vinyl. And Zappa was like, "Eh, fuck it, let's just go crazy." Yeah, which is something that he would norm like do a lot, and it, it's kind of. It's kind of interesting when you think about how many double albums he was able to put out. Oh, yeah. Because you got this, and then, like, Uncle Meat comes out two years later. And Uncle Meat is not at all as friendly as this album, but he was still able to do it. Well, and the, the only time he finally got stopped was when he was going to put out the quad album, Leather. Yep. And then finally they're like, we, we got to stop somewhere. We can't do this like, anymore. Yeah, we're, we're just going to, you know, fuck with your contract and, and put all these albums out that, uh, without your permission. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Frank. As we discussed in a previous episode, the Zappa discography is notoriously dense, partly just due to the the enormity of it and also due to the different phases and eras. Um, if you are trying to figure out a, a good starting point, honestly, I think this is a perfectly con- good starting point. You're going to get some safer songs. You're going to get some weird shit. It's going to give you a taste of what's to come. It's going to give you... Of an idea of why he was his concerts were filled with just the strangest fucking people in the universe, yeah. um, but at the same time, one thing we haven't mentioned, but I think bears mention bears mentioning is above all the humor, above all the satire, above all the the bogus frenzy, is that this is a very well written album. There's some really clever instrumentation. There's yes. a lot of we haven't I mean, even. That's a good point. We haven't even talked about the instrumentation. Yeah. <laughs> And it, it, so you have like in the song "Hungry Freaks Daddy." I mean, they use a, it's a I think a marimba or a vibraphone. Um, yeah, that was one thing I wanted to bring up too. How like um, the 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 mixing for this album is really weird. That that was one thing I forgot to bring up. It, yes. It's like it's very percussion heavy. Like the percussion sits above like the guitar and the bass and even the vocals sometimes. The marimba especially, um, which gives things a very nice exotic feel. I will, uh, uh, the other thing too, especially compared to other albums of this era, obviously by today's standards, it's not so much the case. But I also found this album to be quite bass heavy for an album in 1966. Yeah, um, you, the the bass guitar definitely has more of a, a oomph to it. The guitar has yeah. a little more is a little bit more in the background, a little more spindly, because a lot of albums in this era were very uh, 
very tr- trouble heavy bass was not so I don't, I don't know if it was just recording equipment or just the style like they weren't emphasizing the bass work a lot but this had definitely has a more thunderous sound than a lot of albums of its of its time yeah which makes sense considering that you know Vares is his hero and Vares did mostly percussion pieces yes but what were you going to say about the before I cut you off oh no it's just that, that it's just that you know it, it was there basically was was what I was gonna say is that you know you had that you had uh um there's there's orchestra there's um orchestral instruments as well there's violins there's I mean if you look uh there's uh the mothers of if you look at the personnel I mean they have a section called the mothers auxiliary where percussion guitar or, or sorry percussion clarinet sax twelve string guitar cellos French horn and tuba um some guy named Motorhead Sherwood just plays noises. Uh, there's a lot of different piano players. Oh, I mean, well, you Motorhead was he played uh, one of the saxes uh, in the later um, Mothers of Invention. He would join them for I think he's on We're Only in It for the Money, and and then the subsequent two or three albums. And then he would go on to form his own solo band called Motorhead. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's always time to play the game. <laughs> It's all about the game. Um, and hairstylists. Can't forget that. Yeah. I threw you off, I mean, didn't I? What? <laughs> I said I threw you off, didn't I? A, a little bit. Um, I, I I don't know what else I can really say about this album. We've definitely uh, flagellated all over it, um, as, as I thought we would. Like Not unlike the record itself. Yes. A sprawling display. But um, it, it, for me, it bears emphasizing because I think this is just an. A, I know it's like on a Rolling Stone top list, and the music publications go freak out. It's so cool, but you talk to people and you're like, "Hey, ba- albums from the '60s," and they're like, "Oh yeah, some Bob Dylan and uh, Have you heard of the Yardbirds and the Beatles? The Beatles, the Beatles, the Beatles, the Beatles, the Beatles, the Moby Beatles. Grape. Mo- yeah, Moby Grape. Uh, <laughs> but I just feel like a lot on. Fortunately, just due to the enormity of the cult of the culture that was created by the Beatles, a lot of good stuff is just completely overlooked. And there's a lot I there's a lot of really good stuff from the sixties that just got totally stampeded or trampled over because of Beatlemania, because of the Stones. Um and it's not even until like nineteen sixty nine where people are like, Oh shit, there's other albums other bands coming out. Yeah. Uh, and this was one that I mean, you you talk to people, they're not gonna they're not gonna talk about it, and you're gonna be like, this this came out a year before Sgt. Pepper, and it was fucking bonanza. Yeah, and, and um, another thing I wanted to bring up earlier was that I guess that um, so Zappa. Do you know about the bad blood between the Beatles and Zappa? I know about the bad blood between Frank Zappa and John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Okay, but I don't know if there's more to the story. There, there is. So that happened. That happened later. But yes, um, when so Freak Out comes out and the Beatles, uh, they haven't started recording Pepper yet, but they start. I think at the end of '66 is when the sessions for that album start. Yes, and Paul McCartney calls um, Zappa to ask for permission, basically, to do a concept album because I'm. I, I can't say this with authority, but I can't think of any other examples, and I feel like I'd know it if they were, but I'm pretty sure he put out the first concept album. At least that's um, what Wikipedia says. All right. Well, Wiki's got my back then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so Paul calls him and, and asks for permission to do a concept album. Zap is like, fine, whatever. You know, go for it. Sergeant Pepper happens. Um, 
and then the the next year 1968 is when uh we're only in it for the money comes out which is a big satire on hippie culture uh far more than this is even though i guess this is more like teeny bopper culture than hippie culture um and for the cover zappa wants to do a parody of sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band with like you know the collage with people in it except his will have real Jimi hendrix and uh hitler and like uh um uh, the guy who shot JFK is in there. All kinds of unsavory creatures, as you would expect in, in a Frank Zappa parody of that album cover. I love that album cover. It is just grotesque. It is oh, yeah. so... And I think Zappa's in a dress. Uh, all of them are. Yeah, yeah, all of them are. Um, but they got a lot of flack from uh, Beatles management for doing that, which is why you have the yellow cover on the outside, the gatefold parody of Sgt. Pepper, and you have the actual Sgt. Pepper cover parody on the inside. Um, and so that's just the start of it. And then the thing, you know, with Yoko and, and Lennon happens. Um, and it's just kind of bullshit because Zappa, you know, like I, I honestly can't even believe that he let McCartney do a concept album. Everything that, you know, um, you and me and a lot of other Zappa fans know probably would say that Zappa would say, you know, fuck you, Paul McCartney. You do your own thing. You, you plastic motherfucker or something like that. Uh, but he lets him do that, and, the, and then the management ends up dicking him for it. And I think um, I think I remember reading that he like reached out to one of the Beatles, maybe McCartney again, to be like, "Hey, can we do this?" And the Beatles were basically like, "You know, you got to talk to our management about that. We don't make those decisions." And Zappa was like, "Well, you know what the what the hell are you guys doing? You're like the biggest band ever, and yet you're you're somebody else's slave. You know, it's kind of weird." You know, it's funny. I mentioned that Freakout was the dark, like sort of the weird, weird brother to Sergeant Pepper, and there is a mm-hmm. quote that where part Paul McCartney is saying he regards Sergeant Pepper's as the Beatles' Freakout. So, I mean, that's it. These are twin twins, are brothers from a different mother. Whoa! <laughs> and on that note, the band. The band. Um, so the band. So Freakout. Sort of predates, um, you know, lush concept albums that happened in the late 60s. The band sort of, uh, my theory is that they they sort of lay the groundwork down for a lot of early 70s genres, like the popular stuff, not the stuff that, like, you know, you and I listen to a lot. All the weird stuff. Yeah. Stuff like, uh, you know, country rock and, like, soft rock, roots rock, like, all that sort of thing. I feel that this is sort of the first album that nails that down and gets it right. Um, that being said, a uh, little bit harder to talk about this album as positively as, as I just did for Freak Out. Um, it's a little bit hokey, uh, I guess a is the word bit? that I would use. A li- <laughs> oh, Lord. What song was it? There's some song where it was... Um, it was We Can Talk. I think the lyric is, You Ever, mo- you ever Milked a Cow? Sure have. Yeah. Um, they do in harmony vocals, so that that sort of gives you an idea of it. Um, however, it I do I did like the second half of this album. I feel like it picks up a little bit. Um, the first seven tracks are are more sleepy, uh, pastoral, um, you know, farm time music, and then you got Chess Fever, which brings things up a little bit. Um, that track actually reminded me of something that like. Um, like, I don't know, like some dad rock band, like uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive 
or free or something like that where they do like the soaring you know what I mean like yes. the soaring Hammond organ thing it's sort of like it sort of informs that um, but those last four tracks I liked um, I feel like they were uh, distinctly less sleepy than the than the first seven yeah the chest uh, fever is really where it, it wakes up mm-hmm. um, so the weight of course is good too even though it's been in a thousand movies and a thousand commercials it's still a great um, pop yeah. track you know yeah so I gotta I gotta admit, Chris, I'm walking into this album with a pretty deep bias. Um, this is a genre of music, uh, and I I call it like nice rock. <laughs> um, and I put in this category this album. I put in the vast majority of the Grateful Dead. I put in yep. Fish. I put in any band that like it's just like nice to listen to, and it's clean and it's cool, and there's three vocal harmonies. And everyone's just kind of having a good time, and you can hacky sack to it. And I would—it's just to me the fucking worst. Yeah. Um, like I—I I, I, I regret putting this in there. I feel like I should have. If, if I could go back in time, I would put in. Um, you ever hear "Star Sailor" by no. Tim Buckley? No. It's um this weird like psych folk album that Zappa produced. But um, I'm, I'm glad we we covered this one because i yeah i listened to this album many years ago and i was okay with going back to it despite not wanting to listen to it um but and it does have that resonance that these other albums have it, it definitely does i think yes and so i get so i i where do i even begin all right so here's here's where i gotta begin here's where i gotta begin um my parents for the long for many years uh well my, my dad and my stepmom would go to this bar local their local little bar that they would go to and there was a band that would oh, there was always a cover band that would play there, and they would play stuff like this. They would play Grateful Dead. They would play a lot of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Um, but they did a lot of songs where they had three vocal harmonies, stuff like this. And I was always like, these guys are good, but I pretty much hate everything I'm listening to because it just it's it's just so pleasant. It's so clean. It's so pristine. All the everything harmonizes well, and it's just eh, eh, eh. and I'm like fucking just break something or go like just do something it's just it's too nice it's too nice it's too squeaky and so i would go there you know listen to the music the guys were everyone was really nice so i never like gave them shit because i didn't want to listen to them but then this guy one the one of my parents friends comes up to me and we're we're chatting about music blah 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 and i'm like hey have you heard of can they're they're a rip-roaring good time it sounds nothing like this and he goes on and on probably for about 15, 20 minutes about the last waltz. Just really won't shut the fuck up about the last waltz. Cause so, that was something I was going to bring up. I feel like the last waltz, it like, I feel that the, the, that, and, and this could be my own bias, but I feel that people like know what the last waltz is, but I feel like a lot of people haven't seen it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I think at this day and age, sure. And so I decided to like check some clips out and I was pretty much like, I'm done with the band. I'm I'm done with this. Everyone's just singing and smiling and all the cocaine's blurred out and <laughs> and uh but in, in the trend of the last episode, I've never seen it in its entirety. I just know random tidbits about it. Yeah. Um and I was done with the band, then my friend gives me this album, like, hey, you gotta listen to this album, it's really good. Uh and again I hated it, and it's just I so I come into this review with a lot of baggage against the band. Um it's just I don't I don't get this style of music. Nothing grabs me. Nothing engages me. It's just kind of to me. It's got like a wallpaper vibe of everyone being nice and wearing Birkenstocks and just being pleasant. And that's I, how I do get it because I could see like 
someone like sitting on their porch, sipping a beer at like six o'clock on a Sunday, you know, with this in the background, you know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, there, those, those people are out there. <laughs> but for me, part of it too is who's the, who's the lead singer of this, of this nonsense? Uh, fuck. It's on the tip of my tongue. I want to say it's, I think Levon Helm is involved. I think that's, that's where he comes from is the band. Uh, it, well, I don't know if it's well. Everyone sings in this goddamn band, uh. So I don't know if it's Richard Manuel or no. Rich- it's it's Robbie Robertson. He's he's the he's the head guy. Yeah, uh, I think he's a terrible singer. Uh, I hate listening to him. Yeah, uh, on, on that opener where he's like tears of rage, yeah. and I'm like, oh dear God, oh dear God, and that doesn't that doesn't even begin into getting to these lyrics are impenetrable. And I listen to the Mars Volta, but these lyrics are fucking impenetrable. They are just bizarre, ultra cryptic nonsense that I don't get for the life of me. It's that Bob. It's because they're Bob Dylan acolytes. <clears throat> yes, that's that's where it comes from, probably. Probably. Like two, one, I know that "I Shall Be Released" is is a straight up Dylan song. Yes. Um, that he gave to them. Um, I don't know about the rest of them. Like, uh, you know, pulled into Nazareth, feeling half past dead. I haven't been there, man. I I don't know. Right. I'm sorry, I haven't. Um, have you ever milked a cow? No. <laughs> sure have. <laughs> or on Lonesome Susie, like when he like he bellows out, it's just woof. So I don't know. I get I get no joy out of this album. Um I, I did agree with you though, the last four songs it does pick up a little bit. I get a little bit more engaged, but overall I just See, I kinda like Lonesome Susie, listening back to it again. That was that was one of the ones that I liked. I feel that like Tears of Rage, the opener, yeah, it's you're you're getting into like uh two fucking cats in an alley territory. Right. But Lonesome Susie, I feel like uh the the whininess sort of benefits it because it's a song about like a broken heart. Yeah. And so it kind of plays into that. Um But yeah, it's it's um again and again that it makes sense because it, it's a it's you know, the acolytes of Dylan, so uh, you know the the whiny vocals and cryptic lyrics. Those are those are the things that make Bob Dylan Bob Dylan, I guess. So can I can I give um, you another spicy take? You don't like Dylan? I really don't care for Bob Dylan at all. Okay. One of my one of my favorite things, Bob Dylan, is Adrian Ballou's impression of Bob Dylan <laughs> on on Flakes. Uh, <laughs> I get I get nothing out of him, and I think his vo- his voice is repulsive. I, th- this is an equally spicy take, but uh, on the other side of the fence, I put him at the same level as I would put David Bowie, where overall I think they're okay, but I also think that there are um, – and I, I also think it's okay if people uh, you know think they're overrated or anything like that, but I also think that there are like three or four albums of his that are really exemplary um, in – you know, good, good examples of the craft, but it's, it's definitely an acquired taste, um, with Dylan. And I feel that Dylan was sort of a master of what he was doing and, you know, sort of what the band is doing here. Right. Right. The band, I feel like are not this, this very much sounds like a first album. Um, oh, and, and one thing we should definitely bring up is the recording techniques here, which is, this is one of the first, um, quote unquote, lo-fi albums in that it was recorded in a house and not a studio. The, Epiphanous Big Pink, um, and so you can thank these guys for uh, bedroom core or whatever that those <laughs> those fucking 
genres that exist nowadays that they have, you know, live YouTube radio ads for on the front page of YouTube all the time. Right. Um, but that it, it's, it's, you know, similar to the Zappa thing, how Zappa was one of the first people to, uh, push for multi-tracking and shit like that and really doesn't get enough credit for it. I feel like these guys don't get enough credit for starting that lo-fi. We don't need to be in a studio type thing, but here, here's um, where because the album sounds all right. It does not sound like trash. No, you know, it, even if the music isn't that good, like the production is, is pretty crisp. Oh, I, I, the only, the only gripe I have with the production is the bass is like, basically inaudible it's just and i'm i'm i, I like having a hearing that bass guitar dri- drive a song and so and i guess in this style of music it doesn't need to because they're everyone's just kind yeah. of fa- everyone just kind of faffing about and then yeah, I, feel, of... I feel like the piano sort of fills the bass's yes. space on this so, album but here here's the only reason i disagree i i agree with you on the on a technical aspect i i disagree with you on the other half because 1968 um hold on i'm making sure i'm getting my date my years right uh, so I can edit out this silence. All right, so it um about eight to twelve eight to twelve months later, from music from Big Pink Monster Movie comes out by Can, and I know that I'm talking about Can, and I'm okay. That with wasn't this. recorded in a studio. Oh, that was recorded in just a, like a big house. Wow. And they didn't. They had like two microphones. And they would put and they would set up the instruments in different ways. Like they would set up the instruments in various parts of the room with the microphone dangling in the middle, and that's how they like got their sound. Wow, I had no idea. It's it's in it's in that it's in the book. Um, so and it's they just I mean it's the most lo-fi concoction. But the reason I bring that up is that monster movie to me sounds like way more dynamic and interesting from a mixing level. And yeah, it, it, it sounds like it was recorded in the studio, but no, it's just like it's a two track recorder. They had maybe a microphone. They could do like one take of overdubs. Otherwise, they had to restart the whole thing. And that sounds way more interesting from a sonic perspective. I know these are two uh, on opposite ends of the spectrum style wise, but from a like oh, a, yeah. from a mixing <laughs> perspective, I think monster movie sounds way cooler than this, which has a very flat kind of almost mono pristine clean kind of vibe even though it's quote unquote lo-fi. Yeah. No, I had, I had no idea that that was recorded in the house. That's crazy. It blows my mind. Yeah, they just they moved into some old German's mansion and just like and so apparently if you listen really carefully, you can hear like birds and stuff in the background like if you have like a really good setup because they were, it was just that's what they were doing. If you have like a twisty screw speaker and not like a flap speaker, exactly. If you got if you got a twisty <laughs> screw, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about this album. Um, I would recommend it just because it's so uh, base level. Um, it's it's like uh, fucking tapioca pudding base level. Um, the the vocals they they might get you. The vocals might get you, but um, you know if you're if you're looking for a hoot nanny, if you're looking for a, a, a knee slapping good time, uh, the Big Pink and the band, they got your back. Um. Uh, I don't know. Sure, fuck it, whatever. If you if you like. If you like bales of hay and 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 if you got hay fever, and if you're like a washboard is a good instrument, then fuck it, yeah, listen to this this music. Um, I just I get 
and I and I know we've reviewed a bunch of nonsense. And Chris, when you and I talk, we're like, how deep into the hole can we go without it being just complete nonsense? Um, so I know this is tip from. So I I'm understanding. I'm reviewing this album from from a personal perspective. I just listen to very very different music, but um, I just I didn't find a whole lot in this album enjoyable. Uh, I found it just kind of plodding and a bunch of people faffing about and doing not a whole lot. Um, but I also understand that a lot of people like this style of music, so I can't be too hard on it because I think a lot of it's just I don't get it. Um, because you know people love. I mean. Thousands of people would go see Grateful Dead shows, and oh, I've yeah, tried no new. I've tried <laughs> multiple times to listen to the Grateful Dead, and he, and like I talked about the live stuff. So I'd like, all right, let's listen to some live takes. I'm like, I don't, I don't get this at all. I just don't. Because if you're gonna fart around for 20 minutes, like, and you're not gonna turn on a phase pedal, I, I don't understand. Uh, <laughs> so sure, whatever, listen to it. It's you'll you'll probably like it, and you'll probably be like, Alex, why don't you like this? And then I'll be like, Hey, let's listen to some like. Let's listen to Ascension by John Coltrane and go fuck yourself. For this album is for fans of beige, the color beige. This this one's for you. I will say, uh, to uh, I want to give it a compliment. To be to be fair, the instrumentation is good. Like these guys are clearly talented. Um, they're all. I mean, all the all the musical work being done, aside from the drums being simplistic to to a comical degree. Oh yeah, everything yeah. else is on point like there's really intricate guitar work this creative piano work i'm on board with that part like i'm like these guys are talented musicians i can't deny that i just don't care to listen to them same <laughs> but moving from talented to musicians to probably one of the most primitive albums i've heard in a long time but not for bad reasons chris thanks for introducing me to silver apples silver apples are a treat um I I was I, I was listening to this album again on the way home uh, last night, and I remembered where I found it from. It was from a a Flaming Lips forum um, that I used to visit, and it was right around the time that uh, the Terror came out, the 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 really dark album of theirs that I like a lot. Yeah, and um, there was someone who posted that it sounded like a ripoff of Silver Apples, and I was like, well, what the fuck is Silver Apples? Because I've never heard of these guys. And I like this album, so I definitely want to check that out. Um, and so I got their two albums, and uh, my God, um, what what a what a pair of albums uh, those two are! Um, we took a listen to the first one, their their self titled 1968 debut, um, a very very uh, lean 32 minute album of um, keyboard and drum duos that are so. Like it, it, it sounds like these guys got out of a time machine. Like this, this shit is so futuristic and so forward thinking. Um, like, you know, we were talking about how we can't believe that uh, that Freakout got got paid for, but like this fucking album, I I really really can't wrap my head around how this one got paid for. Um, I I got the vibe that this album was recorded in maybe two takes. In a, oh, yeah, in a warehouse somewhere because the, like the song Sea Green Serenades, it sounds like there's a couple goof ups on the drums. Um, and I think in like nothing like egregious, but there's a couple times where I'm like, it feels like some some time because it's a bit of a complicated drum part he's doing there. Yeah. Um, and uh, but All, you know, the, the thing about that and like the motoric beat, which with which this album doesn't have, but it still relies heavily on tight, repetitive grooves. Yes. 
Um, I'm no drummer, but I've heard that that's like more difficult than like doing a flashy bottom solo because you have to be perfectly on time and lean and shit like that. Would you say that's accurate as a, as someone who drums? Uh, Here's what I would say to that. Um, I think partially true. I think a big bottom solo is more and is more of an expression in calisthenics and that Mm -hmm. you can move really fast. And that's, you know, people who appreciate that, that, you know, oh, wow, you can hit all the notes at once. That's cool. Um, to be able to create this sort of monotonous driving pulsation, yes, obviously you have to maintain pretty pretty perfect timing. But on top of that, you have there's a level of mental commitment that you are in this loop for the next whatever, and that can be really hard because there's this temptation to want to be like, well, I'm gonna you know add some dynamics, but you're like, no, I'm gonna stay planted and I'm doing this, um, which is why. Uh, uh, that I love this drumming because this drummer is really cemented to what he's doing. Maybe there's some slow shifting of the of the pattern as the song progresses. Such a, again on Sea Green Serenades, um, that's the one that comes to mind specifically. But uh, he, there might be some slight shifting, but he's staying committed to that. And to be stay committed to that is that's that's hard because you're not. Hey, I'm gonna go fly, flailing around like animal from the Muppets. I'm just I'm glued to this, and I'm and I'm pulling the listener in into this uh temporal time loop yeah um yeah the drumming on the you know it's easy to talk about the 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 electronic bit because that's really the the big uh revolutionary edge that this album has is is the way that it uses this this custom built 32 I i think it was 32 oscillators is like what the what the thing that the that simian the the keyboardist made um, so it's totally custom equipment. So, and, and, you know, obviously it, it's something new in, in the musical lexicon for 1968, but, um, I do think that the drumming is really the star here. Um, it's played so well and it's recorded so well. I love the way that this, these drums sound. Yes. Um, they, uh, it, it's sort it's, it's not like a one for one copy of what, uh, what King Crimson is doing on in the court, but I sort of get the same feeling where there's like just the slightest amount of slapback. You know what I mean? Like it's not like super echoey or dubby or anything like that, but there's just a little wetness to it. Yes. Um, that I really appreciate, which is where I got, um, especially on, um, what's velvet cave. And then a bit on misty mountain. I got a very strong, uh, Portis head vibe, uh, specifically their album third, uh, which is one of my favorite albums. This sort of, pulsating vibe this this reverb this healthy amount of reverb the the driving of the synthesizer as well is it creates these of these these patterns and loops that you can like really bob your head to and get really sucked into um it's it's this album is interesting to me on also on two on, on multiple levels but two other things i wanted to point out one you mentioned it's from the future but it's almost to me part of this album that uh, hits me is that there's almost a sense in my mind that because they're they're playing with something so f- futuristic they almost didn't know like what to do yeah, um definitely. like a lot of the synthesizer stuff the oscillation stuff like it's almost like hey we we have this one thing going uh let's just let's just do something with it and the drummer's just kind of going all right i'm just gonna drum to something because i don't know what we're doing so like yeah because they're they no I, I definitely yeah i don't think that they knew like how good they were doing you know right. what I mean? Exactly. So I think they're just like, uh, fuck it. Does this sound cool? Uh, sure. Yeah, whatever. Because all the songs have a very simplistic vibe. 
Yeah. But they're try- but so the other piece I was going to say is that it, it almost the the album how would I put it? Uh, it? It progresses as the album goes on, which and what I mean by that is, I think the first two songs in Oscillation, Sea Green Serenades, and even a little bit in Love Fingers, they have a very more traditional structure, and they sound almost like almost almost like '60s pop songs, uh, but with the with these new instruments. But then you ha- you get a song like Program, which has got to be one of the earliest instances of using sampling in a song. Yep. Um, and then you get into stuff like Velvet Cave, Whirly Bird, where it gets weirder and weirder. Then you have Dust, which is almost like uh, I wrote down that it reminded me of those live uh, Hawkwind tracks, where it's yeah. just where it's just the the flangery nonsense, and they're like, "Everyone gets in your pods for Sonic Attack." If all orifices. <laughs> if you're if you're having sex, you must all orgasm in unison, like that kind of shit. And yeah. so, like. As the album progresses, they're just like, fuck it, let's just try stuff. And there doesn't seem to be any, like, rhyme or reason to it. It's just they have this new equipment. Let's play with it. And then we're just going to drum and kind of fumble some lyrics on top of it. So there's this there's this very – there's this organic feeling of that we are in the laboratory. We're trying new ideas. So it, it has this, this vibe of, like, they didn't know what they were going to do. They just had it and let's do something with it. Yeah, before in in the last episode that we did with um, uh, goth rock, we sort of um, talk about the concept of um, of playful nihilism. And I feel like this album sort of has that too because this the music it, it sounds fucking scary. It sounds apocalyptic, um, but the structures are very much cemented in pop. Like these are '60s pop songs. There's no question about that. Right. Um, uh, it has that bouncy playfulness, but the 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 instrumentation, the fact that it's this this weird custom keyboard drums duo, um, just gives it such a weird, different character um, that it really it masks that sort of in the same way that like you know how Omar to we got to get at least three references in um, <laughs> we're contractually obligated to uh, by by Nadia Sound too. <laughs> To get three Wait, in a, there. That's a deep reference. I, I had I, I should have gone with Debios, but you know, alas, uh, that you know he he would talk in interviews a lot about how people call the Marzolta non-commercial and how it really has like a verse chorus. They're you know how they're just like pop songs with all this garnish on it, and I feel like that is even more exemplified here, um, more so than the Zappa album too, where uh, you know subversion is used. Um, and like, and the crazy part is, is like, I didn't even think about it until you brought it up before. Like, these guys definitely didn't know what they were doing, right? Um, and yet they were somehow able to cobble this together. Yeah. Um, hold on, I'm pulling because you have uh, another album that I I sort of see as a as a logical progression. Uh, Craftwork, the first Craftwork album didn't come out till two years afterwards. Yeah. Which, which. Um, Obviously, had it, it was doing its own thing, but kind of pulls a little bit from this. I think you may have mentioned Krautrock. Um, I get some of that vibe in there. Obviously, as you mentioned, yeah, just you met- like the repetitive and yes. like how how yes. it's tonally colored, for lack of a better term. I don't know exactly how to articulate that, but like just how it has this like this like black and white haziness to it. You know what I mean? Like yes. TV static or something like that. Well, and that goes with that song program where it kind of feels like the, right. you have this different programming kind of coming in and out and they're just kind of playing with it. And, and so I, I was listening to that and I'm like, this could, you could probably go into some like 
hipster Brooklyn borough, whatever, and like this kind of band will be playing, and people are like, oh, this is like modern music. No, this is uh, 50 years old. Yeah, and the, the crazy part is, and I was, I was thinking about this when I was listening to it again last night, is that, you know, this album did get its due. Um, I, you, you have the wiki page open, so you may, you may be able to read it while I'm talking about it. But, like, there was something, something happened. I think they played a festival or some tapes got discovered, and they sort of had a boom. And based off that, they got their CD repressed, and um, they were sort of brought to the cultural lexicon again uh, about 10 years ago. I think this all happened in 07. Yeah. Um, but these guys are so forward thinking, I feel like they're due for another one. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the book is not closed on, um, these guys, uh, getting their day. Yeah. I, I think I, I agree that this is, I think almost like the next band that if they haven't done like, um, new 180 gram special edition re-releases that this is sort of like the next thing to come about because this is, um, I'm not going to, I, this is an album that just simply blew me away upon listening to it. I'm not going to tell you it's like one of my new favorite albums, but it's one of those albums that like, especially when you know the context of it, you're like, and, and so I'm going to bring up Sgt. Pepper again, where I listen to Sgt. Pepper. I'm like, I'm I'm still not, you know, like I get, came on 68 or whatever. I'm still not super wowed by it. I listen to this. I'm like, holy shit. How did they do this back then? I don't, I don't understand. And then music wouldn't catch up to it for, I mean, Germany, maybe some stuff two years afterwards, but you wouldn't get stuff like this coming out of the States still for a while. It would take, it would take some time. Um, yeah. Like uh, this, this album sort of, it, it initially what it made me think of, uh, you know, in addition to Kraut Rock and, and trip hop, like you said, especially this time I got a feel for that. Um, but like, I feel like people who listen to like indie music from like the mid two thousands, you know what I mean? Like yeah. 2005, 2006 during the whole like post-punk revival thing i feel like would really dig this music oh yeah um just because it it has that you know like i said before it has that that nihilistic edge um and uh but but a a carefree one but like a a fun to it um absolutely and I, i i will also say that this um you know to 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 dunk on this album a little bit um i definitely like their second album a little bit better um, I feel like they know what they're doing a little bit more. The last uh, three tracks, I wasn't so hot on here. Um, Dust especially. Uh, I w- it was kind of an eye roller, which is similar to what happens when I listen to Space Ritual and, and we get you know, 10 seconds of Forever and all those other uh, poetry pieces. Yes. Uh, it definitely shows its age. Um, but even then... This is this is wild music from 1968. So it's like you kind of get a pass. Yeah, you know, it's it's just it, it was what people were doing back then. You know, I I'm I'm a little bit more favorable to Dust because as ridiculous as some of those tracks are on Space Ritual, I uh I mean I can like them in a tongue in cheek kind of way. I'm like this is ridiculous and stupid, but I'm I'm on board with it. And yes, it, it's got a dated vibe to it of like we're gonna say big fancy words and sound and sound uh, esoteric. Well, weird stuff happens in the background, and I'm like, "Cool, that's that's fantastic, good for you." Um, <laughs> I, everything about this album for me was just, and especially because it's 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 a half an hour. It's a really short album. Uh, yeah, I think it's just such a wonderful little package creation. It's such a, and it's you you hear the history of music oozing out of it. There's so many genres that are coming out of this as sort of a nexus point. 
and that uh that just would be inspired by it that would call back to it that would pull from it and it's it, to me that it was just so amazing to hear that and so it's for me it just i was i was so floored by it and so i'm i'm like really i'm really genuinely appreciative that you you pulled this one out and i was like and so i got to hear this because revisiting freak out i love revisiting freak out I, I finally got my i got another chance of big pink fine whatever but this was just really crazy for me this was such a crazy album yeah this this is the one that it's sort of the one that that sparked the idea for this episode because because it is so far-reaching yes um you know i get to bring it up a third time you know how uh you know the to, to the point where it's so forward-looking that these guys are literally just fumbling you know it's like reaching into a dark room like trying to find the light switch or something that's right. what these guys are doing um and man, they get their fingers on it. That's for sure. Right. They get their love fingers on it. Ha! Right. There, there is that naivete to it, but I think it all works to the to the betterment of the album. Yeah, I I, I like that, and that's that's something that I liked about the the Lips album too. That I think um, is is definitely the most direct um, comparison to this because you don't have even even with Zappa's music where it's more satirical, you don't have a look anyone sort of coming at the psychedelic era from this angle you know what i mean from yeah. this weird uh dark corner of things um and it it definitely it puts the whole decade um in a different context because when you think of the 60s you think of like paisley shirts and uh uh overuse of sitars and shit like that. I was just certainly... about to say i was so <laughs> glad there was no fucking sitar on this album they could have done it. It totally could have. They totally could have put one in here. Oh, absolutely. Um, but they don't. Instead, we get uh, we get Erm Erm and Sh- uh, Schmidt uh, be happy at the at the use of <laughs> radio samples in this. Right. Oh lord, I, I highly recommend this album. Uh, I think this is a must listen album. I think it's just one of the most wonderful little things, and you can weird your parents out by playing it, and they'd be like, "What is this new?" Hip hoppy music that's crazy, and you're like, no, this came out when you were ten, Dad. <laughs> These guys are, are are super old. They're collecting Medicaid. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you can you can listen to it. Medicaid rock. Yes. Um. Yeah, I would as well. Um. You know, even if you're not uh super crazy into uh electronic explorations, like this is still like you're gonna be hearing sounds on here that um you would have a hard chance finding in um certainly in contemporary music um to them but also contemporary music to now yeah like uh the fact that there is uh you know custom a custom a really beefy custom synthesizer being used here um definitely gives things a, a sound unlike anything else yes so run don't walk to your nearest record store to pick this up. So, Chris, before we wrap up, what have you been listening to lately? Well, I got one here. Um, the first album by a band called Jack Dupont. Um, they are a French group. Uh, some people uh, have called the music Zool. Uh, you know that 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 famous. Uh, well, oh, not really I know famous. all about that. <laughs> All you Zool heads out there, uh, there is only Zool. Um, 
But yeah, this is a. I, I think they came out in '96, so they're a relatively newer band. They're sort of looking back at it. Um, the album that I got was their first album, which has a French title, which means that I'm not gonna try and fuck with it. But it's their first album. <laughs> the band is called Jack Dupont. Uh, it's three long, uh, weird jazz rock pieces. Um, so if you're into that sort of thing, give a listen. I am. A uh, couple I've been listening to lately. Uh, I, I listened to the final album by The Fall before Marky e. Smith died, New Facts Emerge. Uh, not as strongest by any means. Um, if you kind of want to hear the end of the saga, then by all means, by, then go ahead. Um, I think they have much better records, but you know, I'm, I'm still digging through The Fall's discography. It's, it's monumentally dense. Oh, yeah. And full of different eras and varying levels of quality, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad I got to listen to it. I, I, lo- I'm really digging the fall. Marky e. Smith may have been not an easy man to deal with, but boy, could he write uh, a crazy tune. Um, another one, uh, I, one of two that I had talked to Chris about before this episode, uh, Honey Drippers, Volume One. Um, Robert Plant and, J- and, and I almost said Jimi Hendrix. Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, uh, you know, getting back together. Playing some old fifty standards, I think is what this was. Were these new songs or covers? Uh, I either way, it sucked. Don't listen to it. I I will. Sea of Love is a nice song. I, uh, if if you're if you hey when you're in your twilight years, when you're when you're <laughs> when you go to the when you go to the local uh, hometown buffet or some shit, and you're it's it's four thirty, but you got to get your dinner in because that sun is setting. Um, and you need something to dance to, to, to loosen up your bowels, uh, before you go to bed. Uh, honey drippers has your back. I'll say that much. I just also can't get over the name honey drippers because I know what that's, that's a connotation for. And it just, it's, yeah. it's so did, so did page and plant. Oh, they sure did. <laughs> and that just upsets me. Um, it's sort of fifties rockabilly kind of style music. Uh, it, and it's no, thank you. Um, another one Chris and I talked about in person or in private, uh, but I think it still bears mentioning uh, a band called Lard Free from 1973. Their album Gilbert Artman's Lard Free is sort of a it's part of the Krautrock era German band. Um, it is a bizarre little nugget, uh, but I think worth your time. It's got a mixture of ambience, free jazz psychedelic nonsense it's a bit all over the place but uh i i'm not gonna tell you it's my favorite album i've ever heard but it's definitely really creative it's very curious album um i thought there was a lot yeah, of good it's, a, it's stuff. a good nugget it's a good nugget yeah and it's, uh, it's 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 like if john coltrane and brian eno got into a train accident with guitars with some guitars uh there's some good freaking out there's some good nothingness it's it's a fun little experience um, and then one last one, it was the, uh, it's a compilation mix by Andy Voltel, and I forget the other person who's on, who was part of this compilation. And if it's an Andy Voltel compilation, you know it's going to be good. Uh, yep. Doug Shipton, and this one was called Plastic Dance Volume 1, and it was domestic synth pop, um, or, and plugged in punk, uh, so it's a sort of mix of, like, electronic punk, uh, and sort of gritty synthesizer music. Uh, I had been searching for this one for a while because... Um, from one of his other mixes, Krapaxian Innerline, there's a song, There's a Star in You by Don Gear, which is really, really hard to find. Um, but this mix has the full version of it. It's amazing. Uh, this whole mix uh, is really, really good. It's this gritty punk synthesizer mix uh, mixtape. 
um, featuring 10 songs that just you pr- probably have never heard any of these before. They're from obscure bands, bands that were either only in Europe. Um, the only other one I was familiar with was Sweet 16 Ninth Floor uh, by Cybotron. Um, but beyond that, I think this is a great it's – a, it's a hard compilation to find, um, but I think it's really worth your time because it's a good smattering of some new bands you probably haven't heard of yet. Yes, Definitely. And one thing I want to say about Honey Drippers before we sign off is that I'm looking at the personnel, and A, I forgot Jeff Beck is on here. B, I had no idea that Nile Rogers is on here as well, of Chic fame, uh, as well as Paul Schaefer, the head of the uh, David Letterman band. Um, so that's kind of crazy. What an all-star crowd. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chris, Dripping Honey. We did it. We did it. The end. <laughs>